is Buffs Nation. What's going on? Welcome back into the Buffs Nation podcast. It's official. We're playing. You know why? Buffs went back to practice on Friday. Man, it was good to see him out there There's on the field. There's no stopping us now. I know, I know. And while we weren't able to be there in practice, of course, follow and see you on Twitter, different things like that, you know, staying up with the team, it's good to see him out there getting some reps. A lot of rules put into place, right? The Pac-12, you can only have a certain amount of guys, you can only practice in small groups. Who cares? The Buffs are back. Pac-12 football will return early November. And we're going to have a show today, kind of taking you through the process of college football so far. Look at this, the Pac-12 South, because there's some news stories coming out in the South, and this will be day one of our player focus. So the next couple shows leading up to the season, we're going to be diving deep into this roster, talking about these players who are going to lead the 2020-2021 Colorado Buffaloes. That's kind of confusing. 2020-2021. <laughs> Tyler, before we get into anything, though, I, I know that this is a, a CU Buffs podcast, but yeah. we, we just need to take a moment to discuss that, that thing on your face <laughs> right there. I can't even take you serious you like right it? now looking at you. For those listening, we are on YouTube this year. Give us a, a follow on YouTube. Subscribe. Uh, you can find us by searching Buffs Nation Podcast. And you can look at my... Uh, my Fu Manchu, my uh, my my new uh, my my new facial hair this year. It's good. It's Ty- disgusting. Tyler, <laughs> you can tell Tyler is hitting a point in this whole COVID situation that yeah. he's he's absolutely lost his mind. <laughs> I think that's probably and, true, and I think we are all suffering as a result of it. I'm Tyler Walgie. <laughs> he is Jared All to my right, as always. And guess who's back? Producer Ryan. He was out for a few weeks. Welcome back. Guess who's back? <laughs> Dude, how was everything? You were so so. Let's let the audience in. Uh, I know we're breaking all the HIPAA. I'm gonna start. We should call them HIPPO violations, right? It's more fun. Le- yeah, we're switching things up, right? So we broke a lot of HIPPO violations last time, uh, last few shows. But you were out because uh, your fiance was was uh, sick. You know, she was showing symptoms. Actually, ended up testing negative. So, how was everything? How were the couple weeks off? What did you do? How was it? Um, it it, it was weird. Uh, so so she she came down. She had a little bit of you know, um, coughing, fever, congestion, um, sore throat. So, um, went and got her tested the night of. Um, and so so we got her tested on 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 Thursday night. Two and, Thursdays ago. Yeah, two two Thursdays ago. Sorry, and um. We get tested on Thursday, Thursday night, and they tell us it's going to be three to five business days until we get the results. <laughs> oh, not getting that rapid testing, huh? <laughs> no. Er, er, apparently, urgent cares don't have rapid COVID testing. <laughs> five business days? And that's a Thursday, so you wait in the weekend, too. Exactly. Oh, so, so, so we basically just quarantined until from Thursday to Tuesday, and... Um, yeah, it was just a lot of Netflix and listening to her cough. So uh, <laughs> that was about it. Uh, on the, the other show that you produce, uh, Will Chambers uh, and I do that show. It's called uh, College Football Weekly. You can give that a follow as well. He's like, yeah, Ryan's got cats. Maybe he's playing with the cats. I was like, have you met Ryan? You think he's sitting at home playing with the cats? Well, before he mentioned the cats, he mentioned that I was dead, which I'm obviously, <laughs> obviously not dead. Proof. Living proof right here. That was good. I, 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 I am alive. So, um, yeah, it was, just, it was just one of those things. It lasted for, again, like four to five days of no fever, just just coughing. But, but everything's good, and, uh, and, and I'm glad to be back. So. No, it's good to have you back, man. Absolutely. And, and what a better time to be back. You know, the Pac-12 finally announcing for sure we're moving forward. Forward, and uh, we'll have shows every two weeks until the start of the season and then it's weekly you know we were going to do every other week this year because of covid but they're playing we're recording so 
Uh, we're going to get into everything we talked about, but first, a new segment that we're going to do every show this day in CU football history. So, Ryan, what do you got for October 11th in terms of uh, this day in Colorado football history? So, this day in Colorado football history, um, we're um, October 11th. 10-11. Uh, 1924. Going back. I like it. Going, Going way deep. in the archives. I like way it. Way back. I like it. Um, the Colorado, what was known as the Colorado Silver and Gold football team, um, which actually represented the University of Colorado, um, beat Regis University in the first game at uh, what was once Colorado Field and is now, um, or Colorado Stadium, I'm sorry, which then became Folsom Field. So first game of Folsom. In uh, 1924, and it was a shutout, 39 to nothing. I like that. Yeah, not didn't eke that one out nice. there. That was a big win for the Buffs. That's a I good like, way to start. I, I guess it wasn't the Buffs at the time; it was the uh, <laughs> the silver and gold. Uh, well, it's kind of like the Washington football team. Right, That's a right. weird one. It now. is. <laughs> I, I like how CU though in the last you know decade or so kind of bringing back those silver colors. You know. Yeah, a lot of people really pushed back on that when they did, and that this is great to bring the history of this. Yeah. This was the actual origin of CU. This was their colors, was silver and gold. Yeah. Well, good but, good stuff. And just just to add some more facts yeah. to that, so uh, they played in the Rocky Mountain Conference. They went 8-1-1, one, 5-0-1 one, oh, in the Rocky Mountain Conference, and um, played in the Hawaii Poi Bowl. Oh, the Poi Bowl. Nice. I, I guess I didn't realize there were bowls all the way back that far I mean, I mean i i kind of assumed that was more driven by you know media and and, and sponsorships and all sweet sweet money <laughs> right well i think that's a good way to start off the segment because we need a good year from cu this year right all this weird stuff going on and cu does have a chance to make some noise now we'll talk about this team as i said this, this is going to be day one of our player focus, and we're just going to hit uh, one position group today. But next show, that's pretty much all we're going to be doing. Next few shows is deep diving on this roster, looking at who's going to be leading the Buffs this year. Before we get into CU talk, let's bring everyone up on what's happened this uh, season so far in college football. The SEC, ACC, and Big 12 obviously playing. Any surprises that you guys have seen this year? Anything that stands out? For me, the ACC is really good this year. Clemson top 10 team. Miami losing, obviously. They're in the top 10. North Carolina. Uh, the ACC, I think, this year is going to... Oh, Notre Dame. I was just going to say, especially adding Notre Dame into that mix, that really does give them another threat. I mean, I think Miami was something, someone that, that people across the country were looking to see what they could do, uh, how, to, how to transfer quarterback come in. Derek King, he's played well. Obviously, Clemson yesterday. Uh, again, we're recording Sunday, so just yesterday, uh, Clemson pretty put a pretty good whooping. Easy for you to say on Miami. So Clemson obviously is still the favorite in that and the ACC, but Notre Dame brings a threat. It brings a challenge that may actually contend in the ACC. Did you see uh, Nick Saban and uh, Lane Kiffin? Oh, that was fun. That was a good game. I know game. it was, man. That I know. That was a great game. And obviously, Alabama ended up at the end really kind of taking control of that, but that was one of the, the most fun games I've watched so far this year because just that back and forth. I think it was something like eight or nine possessions in a row, Alabama scored touchdowns, and yet every time back down the field, Ole Miss just would match back and forth, back and forth. Finally, Alabama was a little too much for them to handle, but Lane Kiffin. And uh, uh, as well as our boy coming from Washington State, it's it, it, uh, I'm just Mike Leach, Mike Leach is is uh, they're both making a little bit of noise. Well, in there. let's pump the brakes on that. Mike Leach and Mississippi State they start the year by beating LSU, and we're all going. 
beaten LSU. This offense is back. Then they lose two in a row, Arkansas, and then they lost last night to uh, who they play yesterday. Did they really lose uh, it again was, yesterday? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, good God, it was uh, Kentucky. They were on the road to Kentucky, and, and they were uh, uh, three-point underdogs, so they weren't expected to win the game, but Kentucky uh, gained 157 total yards and beat Mississippi State. Mississippi State uh, Pac-12 fans, you guys know KJ Costello, who was at Stanford for a couple years. Yep. He followed Mike Leach to a Mississippi State. He's not having a good season. He threw three picks last night, got benched for a freshman. And then in the fourth quarter, Mike Leach is doing the, the chairs. He's putting Mike KJ Costello back in. It was not a good look. But uh, Well, in that win against LSU, I, you're right. We do need to backpedal a little bit because all of a sudden LSU is not looking like right. nearly the dominant power Austin, that Missouri. they have been in the past. Exactly. And Pac-12 fans... This is good news. The Big 12 is completely falling over They're themselves. They're eating themselves alive. Oklahoma, two losses. Texas, two losses. Unless Oklahoma State runs the table, yeah, right. I think there's a good chance the Pac-12 could be represented in the Final Four this year. I think you and I both, when, when we did our last show, we kind of had this idea, okay, Pac-12, you're coming back. Great. You're giving yourself a chance at the uh, the playoff. And I think we both assumed with only playing seven games, you, you're probably on the outside looking in. Right. But when a conference in the Big 12 is essentially eliminated themselves already, there's there's virtually no chance anyone from the Big 12 makes it in. I agree. That really does open the door for an undefeated Pac-12 team to basically be a shoe-in to get into the playoff. So taking a look at the current rankings, and as Jared said, we are recording the 11th, October 11th. Also, you probably picked that up by Ryan's uh, This Day in History. As of the rankings today, there is one Pac-12 team in the top 25. Now, when the Big Ten and Pac-12 announced they were going to play this year, yes! Boom, baby! Rafael Nadal! All right, had some money on that one. Ryan's pulling up ESPN. I I didn't want to watch it because I didn't want it to, dis to distract me from the show. But Yeah, uh, that worked. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, guys, we have a degenerate Boom, here. Boom, baby! Just, just, just oh, give him a moment. That's give huge. Him a moment. Uh, uh, although, baby Rafa! Woo! Uh, although, Tyler, this might be a good uh, plug for your, your other show that yeah. has won me quite a bit of money <laughs> here, the, the Sharp Angle Podcast. If you guys aren't listening, give it a listen. I know a lot of our uh, casual fans are not uh, big into the deep dives into uh, sports betting, things like that. Check into the weekend shows. They're quick. They're succinct. Tyler gives out some great picks. Makes me a lot of money. So just don't question him. Get on board. Listen to it. Sharp Angle Podcast. Appreciate that, Jared. Um, but yeah, so as I said, when the Big Twelve, or when the Big Ten and Pac-12 announced they were going to play, the college football uh, powers that be inserted all the teams who deserve to be in the top twenty-five in there, right? So you've got Ohio State now ranked number six. Uh, you've got uh, you know Penn State in the top ten as well. The only team from the Pac-12 ranked in the top 25 is Oregon at number 12. I'm not going to make too big of a fuss about this. I know the Pac-12, we'll talk about some Pac-12 stats today. Not very impressive. But I think that USC deserves to be in there. I'm I, shocked they are not. Yeah, I see some teams at the bottom of the top 25. Uh, Iowa State, Minnesota. Oh, Minnesota's 0-1. Oh, well, no, they haven't played. They're in the Big, uh, the big 10. Uh, Texas a well, Texas A&M actually had a big win yesterday. But still, this is before that happened. Virginia Tech. I see several teams on here that I would put USC ahead of, so I don't think we're too far away from having multiple Pac-12 teams in the top 25, but right now, no love from the na from the national point of view in the Pac-12. Does that surprise you guys at all? With the way that the, the national media and everyone responded to, you know, Pac-12 and Big Ten not playing and basically nobody cared about the Pac-12 not playing. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not surprised at all. I, I think that that's a, a, something that the Pac-12 has been fighting for years to try to be 
treated seriously, be taken seriously among uh, along the, the rest of the major power conferences. And I think we're seeing that this year. And there's really got to be some some movement from somebody having a, a very statement year within the Pac-12 to to get that moving in any direction. So I'm I'm not surprised just just because like Jared said the Pac-12 um, hasn't been playing but I mean you see teams like just to build on 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 what you were saying Walsh um, SMU Minnesota who also hasn't even played a game yet um, Iowa State the Raging Cajuns I mean I, I think you could see a, a, a flood of of not only Pac-12 but also Big Ten teams the, yeah, the that, Raging Cajuns be. made yeah, right? it in the top 25 that's what I'm not USC all right, all right hey and and let's be honest though it's probably the Todd he- uh, the Todd Helton, the Clay Helton <laughs> factor. The Clay. I'm just. I'm struggling today. I think we need to get back to every hey, right. show. We have. Man. We have primarily a Colorado audience for this one, so, <laughs> so it's Todd Helton. Yeah. It's an okay slip. You guys know. the Clay Helton factor. I think that's what's holding yes. USC back. Everyone's like, ah, right. Clay Helton's still there. I don't know. This team's I agree with not that. any good. I don't think Clay Helton's a uh, well. Let's pump the brakes here because it's not like you can have any coach you want to, right? It's like quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't like him. Okay, who else are you going to get? I don't know. You are USC. I think you could get just about any coach and that's, you want. And that's the point. I think Clay Helton has worn his welcome out. And let's hope so. Let's hope that CU sends him right along this way. Do, do the Buffs play USC this year? Yes. They do. Let's pull Week, that schedule uh, up. Four. At USC. Okay. And look, CU... Typically plays USC pretty Gosh, well. They just can't get over the hump right. ever with that game. They're right there every week, every season. Okay, well, we'll talk about the schedule coming up. Uh, CU started practice on Friday. Most other Pac-12 schools starting practice on Friday. So this is real. Now, there's a lot of rules that go into this. You can only uh, practice in small groups, only position groups. So having... Uh, again, uh, Jared talked about my the, the sports betting show that I do. When you look at this from a, a point of view of breaking things down in terms of what the lead up to the season means for what we're going to see on the field, I think that every Pac-12 and Big Ten team who has very, very good position coaches, right? Guys who've been doing it for a long time, guys who understand the, the, the process, they're going to be at a huge advantage. Schools who have hired new guys to come in, you know, uh, uh, brand new guys in their career, younger position coaches, they're going to struggle because they haven't done this before. And a positive, I think, for CU is that Carl Durrell has surrounded himself with a lot of veterans, guys who've coached for a long time, guys who know the process. So honestly... Just, you know, forget looking at recruiting, forget looking at, 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 you know, general talent level, because most people would say USC, Oregon, you know, maybe a a slight step above CU in terms of the recruiting. Forget about all that. In terms of the pure approach from the coaches, CU has to be as as advantageous of a spot as any other Pac-12 school. And they did retain quite a few position coaches as well. I'd say about a half dozen of their coaches yeah. returned from last year. And so that that is a big help, especially on the defensive side of the ball where Kyle Durrell's not going to be as involved. He's an offensive-minded guy. So it is good to have some of that continuity. Tyson Summers still there, some of the position coaches as well. I do think that's going to help a lot to keep those same systems in place. And uh, did you guys see Kevin Sumlin? Got the COVID. He is recovering. He's got the Rona. I know. So he's not going to be able to be at Arizona practices for a few weeks. Again, coaching point of view, CU's ahead of Arizona. We got them on the schedule, obviously. I believe that's the second Pac-12 coach, right? I think uh, Chip Kelly uh, several weeks ago had it Did Chip? Well. I yeah, didn't hear about he's, that he's, one. He's done and through it now, but yeah, I believe he did as well. Chip Kelly is like the enigma of football, you know? I mean, honestly, I, I thought that he didn't get a very fair shake at in, in, uh, Philadelphia when he went to the Eagles. 
Well, he, they were waiting to fire him from day no, one. He, he did that to himself in Philadelphia. He, he did end up in San Francisco for like a year, and they kicked him right to the curb. But yeah, he made very bad. I think he took over as the GM, basically, in Philadelphia. And, and it's just like we're seeing with Bill O'Brien right now, where Bill O'Brien, the GM, fired Jim o, Bill O'Brien, the, the head coach, because he made <laughs> so many bad decisions that you, you just can't keep him on after that. Bill O'Brien, uh, a lot of people were talking about him getting hired in college. That could. That's who USC should go after. If I'm a UFC, a USC fan, it's like he turned that Penn State program right yeah. around after all the allegations and all the things Dude, that came through. With he's that. a good coach. He won the the AFC South with Brock Osweiler. Yeah. Like he knows what he's doing. He just wasn't a good GM. But anyway, uh, all the Pac-12 schools started on Friday. Kevin Sumlin COVID won't be in. So you know he starts to look at everything right now and. Things are adding up for the Bucks, you know. I mean, I know they're little minor factors, but at this point in the season, I'll take anything positive moving forward that we can kind of build on. I actually really think the Buffs are going to benefit from essentially only playing the South. The one crossover game is Stanford, but only playing teams in the South because we look at that year after year, there rarely is a dominant team in the South. Now, you also don't see any of the bottom feeders. You don't have an Oregon State playing in the South, but you look at just about every game. I know it sounds cliche, but they, they really could go either way. Every game, you have a chance to win. There's no games I look at on the schedule. It's like, yeah, you can just chalk that up as a loss. You know, I, I think every game that they play, the Buffs really do have a legitimate chance to win as long as they come out to play. And we see the team that we saw at the end of last season that really came on strong. We see them continue to build off of that. I think they absolutely have a chance to have a very successful winning season. All right, let's go through their schedule. See you going to play, what is it, three, four, five, six, seven, uh, seven games right now. Six games are scheduled. The seventh game is sort of a fill-in because the winner of the South going to play the winner of the North. Now, if CU doesn't win the South, CU will still have a game on December 19th, which is week seven. It's just going to be against another random Pac-12 North opponent. Well, and my understanding of it is they're going to go number one versus number one, number two, well, number two, I, well, North I, and South. I'm not so sure about that because okay. let's say... Colorado and Stanford both end up number two. They play the second week of the season, so there's going to have to be some reshuffling. I, I I would assume they're going to be reshuffling, so you don't play the same team twice in a seven-game schedule. That, so that does make sense. So I they're going to try and make it as one one two two three three four four as they can. No guarantees with that though. So I shouldn't have said random, but it, it's going to be less random than you know than random. But but it, there, there's still going to be something there. But uh, game one, CU is at home against UCLA. Week two. On the road at Stanford. Week three, home against Arizona State. Week four, at USC. Week five, at Arizona. Week six, at home against Utah. Now, I know this is tough to do before the season even starts, right? Must win games, this whole thing. But I believe that CU has to win not... And it depends on what you define, what, what you think the season should be, right? I mean, I think that CU has a chance to make some noise. In such a weird year... This is actually where teams like CU can surprise some people, right? It's the teams like, you know, Alabama and Clemson. And I mean, that, that's probably the extreme example. But Oregon, USC, and the Pac-12, those are the teams who they're thrown off, right? Those are the good teams who may be kind of shaken from this whole situation. I think CU has a chance to make some noise. But I think that CU needs to win all their home games this year, okay? When you're at Folsom, using this altitude... It's it's very important. Now there's not gonna be any any fans in the stands. The Pac twelve decided that. Which I don't I don't love that. I think the Pac twelve should have done what every other conference did. It's up to the state. 
You know, leave it to the governor. The Pac-12 is the only conference that goes, we know what's better for you more than you know what's better for you. No one at games. Nobody. You know, I don't want to dive too deep down this rabbit hole, but I, I actually have to push back on you a little bit. I think that's what this whole scenario when it, with, with sports and COVID is, is just becoming a problem because there's nobody willing to step forward and say no. I don't care what you think within your state. This is what we're doing. I think the NCAA should have done that. I think these conferences should be doing that. So I actually look at it as a positive that the Pac-12 stepped and said, I don't care where you guys are at. It gives an unfair advantage to certain teams. If some teams can have fans, others can't. So even coronavirus aside, we want a fair, even matchup. And I think that's the way to do it. That's a good point in terms of the competitive advantage. What's that, Ryan? Did did you guys watch that A&M game yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they said it was a only 30% capacity. Did you see how many people were in those stands? <laughs> it was, it, it lo- looked full. It, it, it looked, looked full. <laughs> Maybe they're just taking 30% and just jamming them down into I think the that's camera what view. I think that's what happens is people move down and they, and they congregate together. Yeah, so, so if you notice on, on each sideline there were it was pretty full but if they if you looked at the end zones it it was very social distance very far apart but still even on the sidelines like what what are there's people there there's there's rows and rows of people sitting right next to each other and student sections it was a couple weeks ago i saw georgia student section it looked like a, no, a normal game yeah. you know it's crazy what's go- so you know jared you've got a point that more you know, more uh, uh, action, right? More more de- defiance. Yes, you can do this. No, you can't do this. Maybe the best, but I just love, and I guess I'm just sour because I look across the country and I see all these fans at games and there's my favorite place on the planet is my season ticket seats at Folsom Field. You know, uh, I have the tickets on the east side, so it's looking over the mountains. You know, they're, uh, they're, they're sort of high up there, you know, not, not too high for sure. Um, we've had the same tickets in my family since the 60s, you know, uh, but beautiful, nothing like an afternoon at Folsom Field. And so that's what I'm going to miss. And I'm kind of jealous of all these other schools that get to go watch their team play this year. So I guess that's where it's coming from. And je- I'm just jealous, Jared. Yeah, it is. It's it's going to be tough. It's going to be weird. Um, you know, uh, Ryan and I have had season tickets together for what going on six years yeah. now. We both had season tickets growing up with our families as well. Yeah, we're one and, we're one section away from Tyler. Yeah, and this is get this will be the first time and in. in Actually, ever probably that I don't attend at least a CU football game. So that's that's going to be weird. It's going to be an adjustment. But if CU did let people in, I may be trying to get closer because not not for the fact of like the view or anything like that, but I would want them to hear me, you know. And I would want when CU does something good, I don't want to be up there yelling to no one, right? I want I want them to because that's part of why the home crowd is is positive for for not just you know college athletes but nfl as well it means something to have the crowd behind you whether you're losing you need a comeback whether you're ahead you need that little lift you know on defense whatever it is it helps when players can look up into the stands and see fans hear fans so i may be sneaking down too and i'd still try and you know try and follow protocol as much as i can but here's what we need to work on boys we need to get ourselves some media access yeah, you think we can? Uh, you think we could pull that one off? Uh, maybe we'll put Ryan on that. Yeah, let me uh, contact some. Yeah, make, make yeah. a few yeah. calls. Take, Take a that few over, calls, Ryan. <laughs> so when you guys look at the schedule, what do you see? I mean, any must-win games? Do you want to talk about maybe the hardest game you see on the schedule, the easiest game? Let's let, let, let's start here. What's the one game so you can't afford to lose? The easiest game that if they lose, it's like, come on, you can't do that. 
I look at week one, UCLA, in that you you just not necessarily that I see that as the easiest game. Like I mentioned earlier, I think all of them are kind of very much in the same category. There's I can't separate like oh that's the that's the easiest game. You can't not win that game. UCLA at home to start the season. I think that is huge. Carl Dorrell getting his first chance as a head coach for the Buffs. I definitely think that's a momentum builder. I think it gives you confidence. And then week two becomes is a huge game. You go on the road to, to a Stanford team that was very down last year. Then they have KJ Costello transfer out. And I don't know that he was necessarily locked in as a starter there, but that is going to impact this team. So I think if you can get that win against UCLA, you go on the road to Stanford with a little bit of confidence and a game that if you take that game against Stanford, well, now all of a sudden the wheels are rolling with this team. So I think that week one game is huge for the Buffs to take down. I completely agree with that, actually. I, I didn't know you'd go there, but here's the thing. And you kind of you know lined it up right there. If CU wins that first game against UCLA, and let's be careful saying easiest game, right? You, yeah. Because all these games are going to be somewhat tough. I don't see any real easy games on the schedule, but CU can beat UCLA. They've done it before. They match up well. And in that first game, that gives the coaching staff confidence, gives the players confidence. And if they do go on the road and beat Stanford Week 2, now they're 2-0, and coming back home to play a very difficult, very tough Arizona State team. So, you know, 1-1 one one coming back home, 2-0 and coming back home. Those are two very different scenarios. So I agree with you, Jared. I think that's uh, probably the one game where I'd say CU needs to come out of the gates hot. Yeah, for me, honestly, um, looking at it is is Arizona is is kind of so I I honestly think the Buffs could start three and zero, and then USC, you know, at at Southern Cal, you know, may, maybe I'm I'm gonna chalk it up as a loss just just looking at the schedule now. And you go to Arizona, I mean, you could be four and one going to play Utah. At, at, home. At, at, four, at home, at four and one, you are likely, if not in the driver's seat, you're right there with anyone else in, in the Pac-12. I, I think you might see USC go undefeated. I, I just don't know that there's anywhere else on the South that would. Well, and the Buffs have all, have struggled, especially in recent years, with Arizona going yeah. to yes. Tucson. Uh, um, again, we don't have times and dates, but that's usually a Pac-12 after dark it, game. It's they just haven't played well. Is Khalil Tate still at Arizona? Is he still going to run I for another know. like 400 no yards idea. on the on the no Buffs idea. this year? Because I'm still like that. You say Arizona, and I just like <laughs> cringe. How many more yards can this guy get against us, man? Based on what Ryan said, though. I think this is a good reminder for new listeners, uh, for people new to the show this year. We pride ourselves in not being fanboys, right? If you just want to hear nothing but, oh, see, you know, there's a lot of, well, there's actually not many CU podcasts, but there's a lot of blogs, a lot of newspapers, a lot of, you know, people who write stories, you know, a lot of websites where CU could be, you know, 0 and 7 this year, and they're going to paint the most rosy picture they can think of. On this show, we try and look at things objectively. We try and approach it from a real point of view. We try and, you know, we don't want to give the audience any fluff, any nonsense. So we're not going to be fanboys. We're going to be as real as possible. That's why when I say I think CU can make some noise this year, I'm not just saying that to say that. I believe that can happen. And when Ryan says, you know, he thinks they're going to go to USC, could chalk it up right now as an L, I, you know, I don't know too many real clear thinking CU fans who would disagree with that. Now, we always play USC well. We'll reevaluate that game when we get there. But part of what I like about this show, and I think a lot of the listeners as well, is we try and be as real as possible and we try and be as factual as possible without getting so lost and so emotional, right? And, and, and so that, that's just one thing I wanted to kind of bring up uh, after Ryan said that and one thing I like about this show. So man, we'll look I, it up. I, I know there was a lot of talk where he and uh, Kevin Sumlin just not really on the same page. I know there was some talk of, of transferring last year. I don't know if that any, anything ever developed with, with that uh, – 
with, with that relationship between those two. Um, either way, we'll figure it out. But uh, um, so that's uh, we play Arizona. I think it's late November. Ryan, can you pull the schedule back up? Uh, yeah, December fifth. So it's a second uh, to last December 5th, regular yeah. season game, but not including the the week seven. Game. So at USC, the game the weekend before, that's kind of the. Uh, uh, Thanksgiving weekend game, right? The November 28th, that Saturday we're at USC in the following week at Arizona. The only back-to-back on the road that uh, CU has this year. All right, so let's get into some of our player focus uh, breakdowns. We're going to do this this show uh, and the next couple shows. Now, the next few shows, as I said, it's going to take up pretty much the whole time. Today, we're only going to go over the linebackers. And we decided to go over the linebackers because I think the linebacker core is going to be crucial to see use defense this year not just stopping the run but stopping the pass as well right in the pack 12 your linebackers and cu's got four of them two inside two outside at least you know according to their depth chart you've got to have guys who can move you've got to have guys who can cover both tight ends running backs and so i think that the way they play the pass is just as important as stopping the run so let's talk about them player by player but before we get into that individually let's go over some stats from last year last year the cu buffs gave up 6.3 yards per play. That was good for 109th in the country. Yikes. That's not good, right? There's only 130 teams in the Absolutely. country. Absolutely. For, for exactly. those who didn't know. 130. And so, you know, I think that the one thing that everyone says when we talk about Mel Tucker leaving, well, he's a defensive coach. What's going to happen to the defense? Defense, defense. Guys, the defense was bad last year. 109th overall in terms of yards per play, and I promise you, yards per play, one of the most underrated stats in all of football. Now, when you divide it uh, from rushing yards and passing yards, CU was 55th in the country in rushing yards. Not good, not 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 horrible, right? Right there, you know, above average for sure. Out of 130, not a bad place to be. We'd prefer closer to the top 25, but that's okay. 154 on the ground, we'll live with it. Through the air, they gave up 288 passing yards a game last year. That was 120th in the country. Now, you look across the Pac-12, and this is what I was alluding to earlier. The Pac-12 last year was historically bad in terms of stopping the pass. If you look at the Pac-12, they had eight teams in the bottom 20 of college football. So if you take ranked in terms of passing defenses, ranked 110 to 130. That's dead last, right? The bottom 20 teams, the Pac-12 had eight teams in there. That's embarrassing. Arizona State was 110. Cal was 112th. Washington State, 116. Stanford, 117. Arizona, 118. Oregon State, 123. UCLA, 129. And as I said, the CU Buffs were 120th. Guys, the Pac-12 has nowhere to go but up this year in terms of pass defense. Now, I wonder, is that because the Pac-12 throws a lot? Because the Big 12 throws a lot too, and you don't see a lot of those teams in there. I don't think it's a product of pass, pass, pass. I think it's a product of not very good coaching and uh, maybe not the best talent on defense in the Pac-12. I think part of it too is just this like general acceptance within the Pac-12 like, "Oh, no, no, we just air it out here. That's just that's just how it, it is." Sort of that's is. like what Pac-12 defenders always, you know, people that want to defend the way the Pac-12 is. That's the way what they always want to go for like, "Oh, no, no, it's just the style of play out there, the air raid and opening it up." And I agree with you. That's a bunch of garbage. Yeah. No, you line up and you stop the guy in front of you. That's what it's about, man. And if anything in the Pac-12 now you should be leaning more towards stopping the pass because you're going to see that every week. So 
I think that that stat when I read that, it's like, how can that be? That's atrocious. Yeah, that's where you go to like check that against another website. Like, well, well there's got to be exactly. an error. There's got to be something. But here's going the thing: when we complain about it, when Pac-12 fans complain about it, one Pac-12 team in the top 25, it's like. You can talk, 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 or you can do it on the field. And no one in the Pac-12 last year doing it on the field. So you understand, right? It's I, I get it. You know, this whole national perspective of keeping the Pac-12 out. I don't love it, obviously, as a Pac-12 fantasy fan. But I've said this before, and I'm not affiliated with the university. None of us are, so we're, we're not going to get anyone fined here. But guys... I can't wait till C leaves the Pac-12. I want him to go back to the Big 12. I want him to get back to some other kind of style of football. The Pac-12, and it, it's not just the COVID stuff. It's everything. They embarrass me as a CU fan. I don't like this conference. This conference cares more about academics than, than football, which isn't the worst thing in the world. I don't want to phrase it like that. But when we're talking about football, that's hindering football but let's be honest this move was all about money when they made it happen it was because the the texas was taking so much of the chunk of the the tv money from the big 12 and c was going to get so much more there was all these promises of all this money and then the pac-12 has completely blown it with all their tv deals year after year i finally had to pick up some random ridiculous i don't even know what the heck it's called tv streaming service so i could watch the pac-12 <laughs> because i can't get it on direct tv this is absolutely what, ridiculous. What did you get? Did you get Fubo? Yeah, Fubo. I, I, I have it's Fubo. actually good. I like Fubo. Yeah, I like Fubo too. You know, uh, they've got a lot of different sports on there. They they, they offer a lot of like local football games. Yeah, which is it, good. It's nice. You get a chance to record games. Yeah. I mean, it, hey, Fubo's I, nice. I, I ch- check it out. I, I say ridiculous, but only because it seemed like some sketchy, you know, Asian European thing that <laughs> Lord knows if I'm going to get this cut off and I'm going to have somebody coming after me after a while. I felt like I was doing something illegal streaming this. <laughs> I uh, I actually go. <laughs> a little crazy on the streaming i've got fubo i have hulu i got hbo max i've got netflix uh what am i uh so, H- H- hbo yeah max now it used to be hbo go i've got like everything so you are no longer saving money from from dropping no. I, I, subscription. I cut the cord and then my, my bill went up <laughs> I, was, I was gonna say you might as well just pay for cable i should right, <laughs> right? i should just get the cord reinstalled I'm embarrassed now, though. You know, I need to get the cord back yeah, put no, in. No, I'm, I'm off. We're, we're staying off the cable. That's That stuff's just bad news. All right. So, yeah. Well, let, but, but back to what you were saying as yeah. far as the, the buffs, you know, wanting to get, or, or, or at least from our perspective, being a part of the Pac-12 has not been good. Can we agree as we look at the teams that left around that time frame that just about everyone's regretting it? Regretting that move. Nebraska in the Big Ten, it, it just doesn't work. They're struggling with the same thing that CU is, that ever since leaving the Big 12, there is just no rivalry there. They just kind of don't really fit in with the teams within the Big Ten. I think you could even argue some of the teams that went to the SEC, the Texas A&M, the Missouris, they've struggled to get any sort of traction within the SEC. They went there for recruiting, and they're getting destroyed by Alabama and the likes then in the SEC. I think we could all agree that everyone would go back to the way the Big 12 was if they could yeah I, I think with the Pac-12 specifically it, it just it, it comes from up top with with how they've handled since they put the Pac-12 together um, how they handled this COVID situation I, I mean they, they look like fools with how with what happened with the COVID situation. Larry Scott right that's the commissioner that's, I, I that's think correct. so yes. never trust a man with two first names there you go and he, that, that's a rule he also makes more than any commissioner in I mean NCAA that is blasphemous you know they're not again it's all about what's important to these guys at the top, right? And it's clear to me, the Pac-12 knows you've got to have viable football to stay in, in, in the picture. But if you look at what they're doing in the ACC, SEC, even the Big Ten, who is who canceled football for a little bit, it just, and I don't want to, 
to me, it seems like they just care more. You know, that's just what it looks like. That's that's the SEC model. We just care more. It they're they're, they're proving that. It seems like that, and I think Larry Scott's done a very below average job, and I don't think he deserves the uh, the the. I mean, to be the highest paid one in the country. So, as I said, CU 55th in the country last year on the ground. Not bad. 120th through the air. That's where they're going to have to have some work. But today, focusing on the linebackers. Guys, how can we not start with Nate Landman? He led the team in tackles last year. 113 total tackles. 83 of them were solo tackles. And that's the thing. When you look at total tackles, that's always nice, right? But I think it's important to look at solo tackles. What are you doing by yourself? 83 solo tackles, the best on the team. Second place was Davion Taylor with 57. So Nate Landman all over the place. Eight tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Two sacks, one interception, and four passes defensed. With Nate Landman, my my whole thing with him, stay on the field. Watch those targeting calls, right? Because that, that's kind of been his Achilles heel throughout his career. Stay on the field, watch those targeting calls, and he's got a chance to be drafted very high. And and on that note, with, with his draft stock, I think the one thing that, that Nate Landman can really prove to uh, scouts this year is his consistency in coverage. I think you've seen Good some point. flashes. He's obviously got the speed, the athleticism to keep up with guys, but you see him a lot of times kind of lost in space, and I think he needs to be a little more consistent with that because otherwise you you are having to pull him off the field, not because of anything with, with targeting, anything like that, but because you feel he's a liability in coverage. And when you look across the board, the rest of their linebackers, he is their coverage linebacker. Yeah. So he's the guy, you don't have a Davion Taylor there anymore that, that really excels in coverage. So he's going to have to take a step forward as a coverage linebacker to really take it to the next level. And I think if he can do that, you can see his, hear his name called possibly day two, round two, round three pick. If he so doesn't, I do still think he's a draft eligible guy. I think he's or obviously he's draft eligible. I think he's a draftable guy that you'll see maybe later in the draft if you don't see that jump forward. But his skill set is very effective. You see those guys day in and day out, two down starters in the NFL. I think he's going to get more attention than, than than you do. I think that there's a lot of defenses now in in the NFL. Remember, like six seven years ago, where the whole craze was three four. Oh, three four, three four. Everyone's running three four. Well, there uh, a lot of teams are getting back to a multiple defense, not necessarily a strict four-three. But what's becoming more and more important is having that guy in the middle of the field who can go back and cover in, in sort of that. Uh, if you're in a cover two, you need your middle linebacker to be able to cover the middle of the field, and he gets side to side. He's quick, so I think, like you said, this is his chance to prove that he can be consistent in coverage. And I think that he's got a chance, maybe not first round, but I think that. Right now, second, you know. Yeah, I would put him probably as like a third, fourth round guy right now that could move himself up to the second three, round with four. a good seat. I'm around second, third. I think he's. I think that's very fair. You know, I don't think we're overdoing it at all with Nate Landman. So he's certainly, I think, the most important linebacker coming back, and he is a senior this year for the Buffs. Let's get to the other starting linebacker who will be a senior this year, Akil Jones. Akil Jones last year, not as impactful as uh, Nate Landman, but he was fifth on the team in tackles, 50 total tackles, 33 solo, three tackles behind the line of scrimmage, and one pass defense. So, you know, not the robust stat sheet that you get from Landman, but Akil Jones, I don't know about you guys, I was always really impressed, right? Uh, he got banged up, well, I forget which game it was, and immediately you're, you're going, ah, uh, this isn't good, you know? What's it like behind him? Because he's reliable, and I think that's the one thing. He's going to have to step up this year, you know, probably get a few more tackles here or there, be more involved in, in, in the running game, but 
I love Akil Jones. I think he's he, he's consistent. He's solid. And as a CU fan, you always feel comfortable when you see him in the lineup. He's a guy that reminds me of somebody uh, very recently that was very successful with the bus, and that's Rick Gamboa. He reminds me a lot of that. He is just, he is solid. Sideline to sideline, stopping the run. Again, a guy that's not a big guy. Not He's only stands six foot tall, so not your ideal size. But it's okay, is, though. No. Linebacker, you don't need He that. is just reliable. You never see him in a bad spot. He's always making plays and this is a guy that really fought for years to crack that starting lineup finally makes in last year does have a nice impact for this team and I think this is probably the guy we're going to see the biggest jump on this defense this year from last year to this year in the stat sheet in his impact within the game I think Akil Jones is going to be all over the field this year so Jared has Akil Jones as the most improved player this year I'm guessing it's going to be our next linebacker we're talking about junior Carson Wells Carson Wells he got on the field last year, right? But now is going to be the first time where he is really a solid, reliable, kind of every down starter, right? And and I think it's also fair to say we're not entirely sure what this defense is going to look like this year. So the fact that these three guys can be versatile and can be durable, I think that's a huge plus for the Buffs. And there's a reason why we're starting with linebackers and these player breakdowns. I think this, this position group is going to be very good. Last year, Carson Wells, 41 total tackles, 30 solo tackles, three behind the line of scrimmage, and one sack. He also had one interception and one pass defense. So he can drop back, he can cover tight ends, running backs, and uh, Carson Wells in the starting lineup this year. And I think the Buffs are going to really need to lean on Carson Wells as a pass rusher. He's going to play as compared to uh, Nate Landon and Kill Jones will be inside linebackers. Carson Wells is going to play on the edge on the outside linebacker. They're thin at that spot and especially thin with anyone with any experience. So the Buffs are going to really need to lean on him and his experience being a starter last year. And he's going to need to have an impact coming off the edge getting pressure on the quarterback. You, you you list his stat sheet, only one sack. That's a problem for me. I think he really needs to have a bigger impact on that aspect for this team in order for them to be successful as a defense. Well, but you look at, you know, Terrence Lang, Mustafa Johnson, you know, these guys were getting to the quarterback last year, and, and obviously they're not, you know, linebackers, but they did a lot of that damage. And that's when I say the defense could look different. What Mel Tucker asked of the defense last year was the front four gets to the quarterback and linebackers largely responsible for the run, and then covering the, the running back and tight ends, right? So this could be a slightly different defense, and I think, again, the versatility from these guys, nothing but positive. So I think Carson Wells could be the most improved this year. All right, now the fourth linebacker, and by the way, we're using the uh, 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 depth chart from ourlads.com, O-U-R-L-A-D-S.com. To me, I found this to be the most reliable website for up-to-date uh, depth charts. So for you guys at home, ourlads.com and you can uh, find an up-to-date depth chart. So that's what we're using here. Um, But I'm really excited about this next guy. Guy Thomas. Okay, Guy Thomas, redshirt junior. He was a three-star coming out of uh, uh, Miami, Miami, Florida. And he was recruited. Now, he's a redshirt junior and he really hasn't played much in his whole career. Now, back in 2016, 2017, he was recruited by CU as well as Auburn, Maryland, Oregon State, Mizzou, Mississippi State, USC, Pittsburgh, University of Miami, Georgia, Florida State, and Nebraska. He was highly sought after, very athletic, uh, very physical, and he signed a letter of intent with Nebraska February 1st, 2017. So it's like, okay, you know, we didn't get him. He went to Nebraska. Fine. 
Well, things didn't go well at Nebraska, right? He clashed with the coaching staff, couldn't really get on the field, and he decided to come to CU in 2019. Now, he did sign to come play with Mel Tucker. He decided to stay, obviously, which is good. And the the, the thing that I kind of, you know, when I was looking at his bio, I felt bad that he had to sit out the Nebraska game last year. That would have been awesome for him to participate in that thing. But I'm excited for Guy Thomas. We don't really know what we're going to get from him. Not a whole lot of stats to go off of, but I think his athleticism, and you talked about being able to get to the to the quarterback, I think that could be a hidden trait, something that we see this year that uh, we haven't had the last few years from an outside linebacker. So I'm really excited for Guy Thomas, Redshirt Jr., uh, he, I think he could make some noise for CU. And there's just something so satisfying about stealing a Nebraska player. No, no I, I don't know what no it kidding. is about it where I'm just like, you're, I'm rooting for him. So I keep wanting to say this guy and then his name's Guy and it's messing <laughs> with me. Right? I, I, I'm, I'm really rooting for Guy Thomas this year. Not to mention he's also uh, wearing the number one, which is just awesome as an outside linebacker. I think that's just such a clean look. So I'm excited to see what he can do. I think you're right. I think he brings a different element than what Carson Wells does. Carson Wells is more of your well-rounded Rounded, you know, can drop back a little bit in coverage. He can play the run. I think Guy Thomas, he's listed 6'4, 230 pounds, long, lengthy, lean guy. I think he's going to be your speed and rusher. The dude is athletic. I'm yes. telling you. That, yes. That's what gets me excited about this defense. And I think this, the, you know, the, the, in terms of the plays they can call, what they can do on the field, CU can be versatile, right? As long as they allow their players to the freedom to do so, I'm really excited about this defense. Now, today we're only talking about linebackers. But, uh, man, I, I, I'm excited for it. I want to really touch on uh, it's actually not a linebacker position, so I'm cheating a little bit right. here. But last year, the star back was manned by Davion Taylor, who is now playing linebacker in the NFL. So it was a linebacker position. It was more your coverage, hybrid, safety linebacker position. This year, they have listed as the star back Chris let's Miller. Call, let's call him the buff back. Buff back. Yeah. I know. That's so much better. Yeah. It was so much better. <laughs> uh, Chris Miller, who stands at six foot. 190 pounds. I have Mark Perry here. Uh, Mark Perry's the other one that they're actually, I'm seeing both of them are basically going to play a, a hybrid between strong safety and the star back. They'll also play some, I, Chris Miller is a cornerback, has been a cornerback, but basically they're thin at safety. So they're kind of lining both those guys up at safety, but that's a very different approach to that position. Those are two guys that are not linebackers. Nobody will ever confuse them as linebackers. They're both under 200 pounds. They're both defensive backs. So you're really seeing an adjustment from that star back, buff back role being a linebacker now moving to more of a defensive back role. Well, I, I, even though they are technically defense, well, you could call them corners, but but they're they're both a little bit bigger, so they're almost safeties. Which which leans towards your 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 linebacker type of it's role. sort of the hybrid, but 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 I think the good part about this is what we just talked about. CU there there were bad stop in the run last year. It was the pass I needed to to defend more, and that's exactly where I wanted to tie into that because I think that's a coaching staff realizing that might have been a mistake in how they were approaching that position. We want to get more defensive backs on the field anytime we can on these passing downs because we need guys that can keep up with wide receivers when they go four or five wide having a line linebacker covering one-on-one on a wide receiver that's just a mismatch i don't exactly. care who you are i don't care if you're an nfl linebacker that's a mismatch you guys have anybody else you want to talk about anyone else you want to bring up or are we good with the linebackers uh i'm good as far as the linebackers go cool. but but to, to your point um in in a year where there's so much j- just in general there's so much um um uncertainty um when i look at the cu bus defense I see some certainty, you know. I agree. I, I see when it when it comes to the offense, eh, you know, and and obviously we'll we'll dig 
dig a little bit deeper as as we go on through the few weeks and and once they start playing but um i'm really excited about this defense i am too man and that's what we're gonna do next show we'll do both the uh, d-line and the secondary so we'll kind of knock the defense out in the first couple of shows but just like ryan said man uh, i'm excited for the defense this year that linebacker core is going to be very important <laughs> all right folks well uh, thanks so much for listening to this week's show uh give us a uh, follow on uh uh, Twitter, we're at Buffs Nation Pod. Subscribe on YouTube and listen on any of your favorite podcast players. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Let's go, Buffs.